You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everyone, to another Marketing News Canada podcast, Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau. And today on the show, we have Garrett Hall, Professor of Digital Marketing in the Pilon Faculty of Business, Sheridan College. Garrett is also a mentor in residence at Sheridan's Edge Entrepreneurship Hub and is an advisor, faculty advisor, with Enactus Sheridan and an advisor for the student-run Learn-to-Earn Digital Marketing Skills Club. And also, he's part of the Building Small Business Residence Training Program at Sheridan. Welcome. Thank you, Ted. How you doing? Good. Really good. And you're saying you're getting your second shot, so ready to... Go on yeah, out. Yeah, tomorrow see the is the world. big one, and we'll see what happens. And then, yeah, I think they say three weeks, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to go free. I don't, like I say, I, I was I haven't seen people in a year or so. Actually, I work up in Hunts, so I'm out in Gravenhurst, living out in my cottage, and I do have a, a center up here that I go to, sort of a work center with good Wi-Fi and everything. Mm-hmm. But I also have a satellite out at the cottage, but it's kind of slow. So I guess this is where I have seen humans, but it's very limited. But so excited. Oh, so you're at the you're at the center right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm there now. One okay. gigabyte downloads, and at the cottage, I'm getting like three or four megabytes. So there's a Ooh. bit of a difference. Well, it's like a dial-up. It's <laughs> yeah, like dial-up. Oh, it's man. brutal. You got. I can't really do meetings very well then. I was doing a podcast earlier with Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, in his book. I was saying yeah. that uh, up in space, they have slower than dial-up internet connection. I'm like, oh, that would suck. Holy smokes. That, that would, would not be, be fun. Yeah, because I remember the days of dial-up, and that was not fun. No, definitely not. So uh, maybe tell us, how did you get into marketing? What's your origin story? <laughs> so my undergrad was social psych. So that's where I began. And I've always been, I'm a curious person in general. I think I probably spend my time Googling about 50 things every day. It's all these things. I see something, I want to learn it. So social social psych, interested in human behavior. So the social psych undergrad uh, in the honors program, I was ready to go on through that path to go into master's and go on the PhD route. But as I got into the undergrad program, I started to... Um, so for me, it was just the cause and effect. What was exciting to me was to understand human behavior and how to drive it towards or why it drove towards outcomes. And I got a little bit involved in business like Hertzberg's, I could say even the name anymore, Hertzberg, am I saying his name right? It's been so long. Our BF scanner. So behaviorism and behaviorism in the workplace I got interested in and organizational behavior. And then sort of out of that experience, I then wanted to go towards business and uh, business and marketing was neat about business. So when you're in the academic world, you have to research it. And actually, I'm doing that research study right now. And it's all these protocols and everything. In business, every day you get to research, you get to do it. So for me, that's why I moved to marketing. And that's what's my interest in it. So just sort of offshoot of my graduate, undergraduate program. Oh, and I didn't tell you my first beautiful um, area that I got involved with was direct marketing. That was my background. So I went to work for Young and Rubicam in the digital marketing area, or not digital, call it direct marketing. And the neat thing, I don't know if, if you've got a background in direct or, or involved in it, but direct is really a precursor to digital, right? It links up 
pretty darn quick, you know, long copy better than short and all the different aspects of measurement. So it's a good base to go into digital versus sort of general advertising. How'd you get How'd you get into um, Sheridan? It sounds like you were an industry guy. Yeah. So I was industry for a long while and I just got a bit bored. Like I had oh, my yeah, company really? for about 17 years. Yeah. I was an e-com company and, and really what it is when you get a bit bigger, you end up so much operational aspects and staffing issues and, you know, government audits and all these type of things. And it just started to, I moved further and further away from marketing what I enjoyed because really you're spending your time managing all of your managers. And so I sold out a U.S. company came in to buy me out. That was in 2009, which I guess we're getting a long way away. And I didn't have the heart to go back in. I started out my own little agency, but I wasn't that serious. I just didn't want to do it again. I didn't really want employees again to some extent. I had done it. So with all of that, I still, I love working and I love to do things. I love to learn. So a natural progression was to get into academia at that stage. So it was a good fit. And the good thing about the college part, they're more applied orientation. So they really want that sort of work experience and background. And they're a little bit less... You know, the little bit more applied aspect. I won't say maybe the degree isn't quite to that extent, but maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know all the courses, but definitely it's a good fit. So I'm really enjoying it. And at this age, too, when you get a bit older, you kind of want to get back to the right. Uh, you know, you, when you get to my age, you start to see the end. The which, end. No, come on now. Yeah. Well, well, you know, that like there's things I can't really start now, right? I mean, it's... Um, like what? Can't become a basketball player is what you're saying? Well, another business would probably take five, six years again. And then that's like six years from now. Or let's say I want to do a marathon. I don't know if my body will be able to do it. You know what I mean? You you start to see when you're younger, it's all potential ahead. But now you have to start knocking things up. It's not a negative thing. It's just an aspect of the cycle of life. So tell me about the, uh, the difference between industry and academia. Because... I enjoyed going to school. I really yeah. thrived in, in the academic space. But you know, I've never actually worked in academia. I, I would imagine it's very different, yet you're still talking about marketing. You're teaching the next generation of marketers. So tell us about the difference. I'll say, let, let me put it this way. The difference between small business and academia is night and day. And to some extent, the difference between small business and big business is night and day as well. So, you know, I, I put academia closer to big business than I would put academia to small business. And, and what I mean by that, so when I had a small business, you know, so I'm putting out in, in September, I'm putting out two million bucks worth of catalogs, right? All this printing and all the web bill. There's a lot of money going out for, and I have to buy all the inventory. And then I launch off because Christmas was a huge season. So in the fall, I remember just laying out all of this money. And then when you go out with that, if I had a dip of minus 15% or something, that would wipe me out. Mm-hmm. And I'd be down above, you know, sales 7.5 million. I would have been, you know what I mean? It would have been trouble. And a dip up of 10% year coming in the cash. So what I would say is the discipline of small business you know, you really have to have your stuff together. You can't be too lofty. you got to be really grounded. And you, you know what I mean? You really have to stick to the knitting. 
And academia doesn't have that same aspect. And not in a, maybe not in a negative way, but, you know, they're, they're more process oriented, you know, the learning, squeezing out the outcomes. Efficiency is there to some extent. The so college level is pretty good, but there's certainly not the same mindset of business where every day is game on, you know. But with that said, I take in there's some other profs in the program with me that we sort of get along, but I get along with everybody, but there's some in there that we, um, you know, we have the same mindset of small business. So you could sort of tell the way you think on it and you need all the different aspects of players in there, but that's, that's the difference for me. It's, it's not, not as stressful. Let's put it that way. It's not as stressful. Not as stressful. I was always scared. I was always terrified with my small business. I always was. Well, if you're laying out $2 million, anyone would be. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you know, every year it was the same sort of at risk. And then the internet was coming in at that time, like 2005 and six. And I had sort of built up a platform about two years earlier and it didn't really arrive. And I remember about 2007, eight, nine, it started to really come in in Canada. The States was about three or four years ahead of us. But yeah, it was always risky, always scared, always administratively taxed, you know, different projects. Because you know, when you're the president, I know and you're in, what happens is, your inbox is the last inbox, yes, right? Sir. Yes, sir. So, so the stuff that comes to you is the stuff that passed everybody else. And it's always like, what the hell am I going to mm-hmm, do with mm-hmm. this thing, right? Like, okay, thank you for this gift. Because, you know, it passes for everybody who didn't know how to want to manage it. Your department heads or whatever said they couldn't deal with it. So you get every day is like a snowflake in your inbox. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, I always say this to my team that, you know, yeah. I only get calls when clients are super happy, meaning they're really happy with something and want to give us more work, or yeah. they're the opposite of super happy. <laughs> and I'm the one that has to figure it out. But I mean, that's the that's the challenge and that's the beauty of running a, an agency. And I, I have actually thrived in that. I, I though yeah. I can get your point. I've had many a moment in time where you are, you know, a little bit more stressed than probably the average bear, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I guess, you know, one thing it is fun when you do get that sort of snowflake in your your in basket every day. But like it's over time, it just a lot of administration operations because I kept growing, like doing U.S. warehouses and all this operational stuff and computer systems and Internet systems and all that. It just kind of kind of drained me out a bit. So it's nice to get out of it. So how long have you been at Sheridan? So I've been here for about I guess I started in 2015. So six years. Oh, wow. Okay. And so you were talking about this uh, new program, the Building Small Business Resilience Training Program. Given we're talking about small business, I would imagine that this is really applicable to our conversation. Tell us about it, a bit about it. Yeah. So it's a research project me and another prof have done. It's Agenda, Dr. Han Leslie. Never call her by our last name. So me and her did this, actually, we spent last August the whole month and we did this grant app. We never thought we would get it. So we put it out to Future Skills Canada. Sharing our research was really awesome and sort of working with us. And we put the grant in. And yeah, so what it is, is a, um, and you're right, it's small business. And I think COVID, you know, one thing, I certainly have a soft spot for small business. And I think COVID, I think they're the ones who have been hit the most in my view. We look at the repercussions of all of this. And I wanted to do something. Well, both of us does because she also has a small business background. And um, we wanted to do something. So essentially, it is helping marginalized small business owners 
And in the criteria, there's a large sort of large interview process on a survey, but we wanted to find ones who had sort of been hit financially by COVID or at least at some point gone neutral, having troubles. So we set up this research. And what we're going to do is we've just finished off five focus groups asking them about what their needs and wants are and what their challenges have been and the aspects of digital that's worked or hasn't worked. And we now are going to build the course and it's going to be, well, Ted, you're going to get into this one. So essentially, you know my problem and uh, we're sort of, well, I'm freaking out. She doesn't freak out the same way. But we now have to take own digital, paid digital, earned somewhat. I'm not sure how far we'll go with that and put that into 12 weeks. That's a lot to cram in. Yeah, because even I'm doing a a 14-week paid course right now, and I can barely touch just Google Ads and Facebook. I can barely get, you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of setup on it in terms of campaign planning. So somehow we got to make this. I think what we're going to do is a workbook that will have the resources and maybe the lessons will just sort of mirror to, you know, sort of almost come feedback or just introduction to the workbook so I can see it working. So, so we're going to do that. And then, so, so we did the focus groups, we're building the program over the summer, and then we're going to launch alpha, which is the first class for 25 participants. And then we're going to use the learning from that class to do the beta in the winter. And then we'll do a write-up on the whole thing. And the neat thing is what we're going to do is off of the learning and activities, we're going to track all of their social assets, like their Facebook, and they're going to try to get some conversion numbers, the whole darn thing, six months, 12 months out, the effectiveness of the program. And then all that learns can make its way back into Sheridan courses. And so the people taking it are actual active small business yeah, owners yeah, who yeah. saw some kind of a financial hit over COVID? Yeah, not, not all of them. Some of them have. So in the screening process, we did look for financial hit. Actually, some of them we took in, they had extreme rises. We took them in just to see what was going on for the research. And then the other part, there was neutral. But essentially, it was to help businesses who were struggling with COVID. That was the nature and is of it. this only available to folks in the Ontario region? No, no, or? it's Canada-wide. And we're still recruiting now. Okay. So if you um, if you could share that link with anybody, we're still we essentially have filled up the alpha to some extent, but I think we're going to bring in about four or five more because it the problem is small businesses are you know they're hard to lock down. Like, but this this is going to be as you as you're going to know that twelve weeks is going to be like to do all of this work. It's going to be a so I think some of them may may not want to at the time comes in September. Entrepreneurs like us, a lot of the times you're flying the plane while trying to build it. So I think that's yeah. going to be okay. Crash course is better than nothing. And, yeah. you know, so long as you're able to teach these skills, I think it will help them on the resiliency. And I think the economy reopening, this is a good time for that. So yeah, yeah good on you. Thank you. So uh, what kind of trends, what kind of brand trends are you seeing out there over the six years that you've been at Sheridan as well as through this COVID era? Well, the one brand trend that it's so basically simple, but obviously online is growing and COVID, I don't know about you and I haven't really studied or researched this, but COVID, I'm going to say it's brought us five, six, seven, 10 years ahead. It's just moved everything into hyperspace to the online space. So that's, that's a simple trend, but you obviously see it happening. 
And of course, the others just obvious is social media engagement is huge and getting even larger. So that's what I would say the two basic ones. But the ones that I think I'm, I've been reading about and hearing about, and I haven't seen it, and maybe I'm not looking for it or studying it, but my sense is AI and personalization is where I know they've been talking about it. I don't think it's necessary. Maybe it's happening. I don't know about it. Maybe it's too sophisticated for my level. But I do see the point. So AI personalization, I think, is where it's going. And, and I'll tell you, let me give you my reason behind this, what, I've been, what, I, what I think about this. So let's say this is 200 years ago. Ted and me and you live in a small town. I just got an example I used for classes, so you're going to get stuck with this. So let's say you're uh, Ted and you've got a farm. And your uh, your horse just died, okay? Not died. It got sick. Let's not make this too morbid. So your horse got sick, and you can't do your field. So you walk into town, and I'm uh, here at the blacksmith, and I say, "Hey, Ted, how you doing today?" And I know everything about you. Oh, you know your your daughter uh, just got married or whatever. And I know your farm had a tornado last year, so you're struggling. So I have all this information. So when I'm selling you, you know, the new horse or whatever we're going to be doing here or the horse medicine or something, I know you. So that's the richest. And you think about it, face-to-face sales is the richest communication medium. And it's only natural that we have to come back to that best we can. So the ideal situation is the internet that you're on is your own personal internet, right? Personal ads, personal everything. So that's my sense of where it's going. And I don't know entirely why it's not happening faster. I don't know. What do you think on that? I don't know. I was hearing about AI and how it's going to be tough. At least that's what yeah. us marketers are saying, that to get that creative piece going, to get that personalization because of the fact that you are still having to interact with a a human being and to I don't know at least maybe it's just in our field we think that oh creativity is the last frontier and that's the last bastion for the robots not to take over I don't know that that's my sense I don't know yeah actually it's interesting you say that and you know what it does bring me back to the thought and you can this sort of answers to some you know, human behavior is extremely complex, and maybe that's the issue, because I think it's it's almost still witchcraft. <laughs> you know, I was doing social psych undergrad. It was amazing the lack of reliability, because humans are so variable that maybe they just can't try knock it down. Like, I know my YouTube music does a terrible job trying to give me AI for my music selection, and that's just music. So maybe the complexity is overtaking it. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Biggest piece of advice you'd give? You know, you've done a lot for, in this space. For who? Well, let's let's talk about your students first. So it's the advice, and I think I don't know if it's entirely being lost in my day. And maybe students are doing it, maybe they're not. So maybe I may be a bit off on this. But my biggest advice for students is, of course, you know, be involved in something that you love or enjoy. And it's funny. Uh, I don't tell this to my students, but certainly some of my mentees I do are students in the club. But as long as the job is half-ass okay, it's a good job. <laughs> as long as the job is half-ass okay. Okay. A quote of the what day. I, what I mean by that is that 
you know, you're getting paid for a reason. So there's obviously going to be some parts that are not enjoyable. You know, you're not going to get paid to do something that's entirely exactly what you want to do. Or, you know, you wouldn't have to be paid. So, and I guess with that in mind, so pick something that you think you're going to enjoy, but realize there's going to be aspects of it that are not necessarily going to be enjoyable. You just got to grin and bear. That's it. Like there's some things to your job you're not going to like, but that's life. And then what I would, what I tell them are as well is so when you graduate, get into a learning experience related to where you want to be in five years. And sometimes, like I know for myself, when I started off with the direct marketing as Young Rubicam was where I worked on graduation, I was making a lot less, you know, than MBA, I was making probably 10, 15, 20,000 less than, you know, other fields I could have gone into, but I enjoyed marketing and the agency side. So I knew that eventually I'd work my way up and it did, you know, once you get to be good in some of those areas, the money does come really nice or better than it would have been, you know, in other fields. So just do for the experience in your initial aspect. And then also remember that, that learn to earn club I've been talking about the student marketing consulting club. That was the purpose. So when you're doing your academic studies, you're going to need to do or try to do applied aspects and build up those skill sets. And even for free, do what you've got to do. So that first couple of years after graduation, I guess my main advice, don't worry about the money quite as much as just getting that base. It's going to get you that, you know, the money and, and the experience to get those jobs later on. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What about those that want to become an entrepreneur? Your bio says mentor in residence at Sharon's yeah. Edge Entrepreneurship Hub. What's that? And what advice would you give someone that wants to strike out on their own? I would first of all tell them, what are you doing? You're crazy. <laughs> well, you got to be a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, entrepreneurs, you know, you really, really like you're running on faith. So what I would say for that, is, you know, and I've read, I, you know, it's funny in my twenties when I was first in entrepreneurship, I, I listened to all of those like, think and grow rich and, you know, all of the motivational books and stuff. And I remember out of that, you know, sort of just don't have a plan B, just do it. And in hindsight, no, I don't really agree with what they're saying. Like you should not be under a gun. You should not be stressed. You should be able to think clearly and you don't want to get into tight spots. I would recommend even going off to some extent and even working, doing something else or have some sort of income lined up so you can go through the challenge. And, and really, so the, the mindset or the, the advice would be, first of all, it comes down to that value proposition and know that every piece of planning you do is probably going to break four or five times. Mm -hmm. And you got to be prepared for it to break. Mm -hmm. And you got to realize that value prop to see, you know, the customer to product fit. It's not going to be the way you think it's going to be. So you're going to have to plan it out and somehow test it and then replan it out and test it. So all this activity is happening and you should have some sort of side income, I guess I'm saying, 
Because if you push it too fast and you go in with something that's less satisfactory, you're never going to get the traction and the income that you you need. So, so I guess the first thing I would say is just make sure you have some sort of income stream and test and have the time to think it through because that initial launch off is messy as hell. Like some clients coming in the new idea, it could take a year and a half to get it cleared through to figure it out. And some get lucky where it goes really quick. So I guess so side hustle and just give yourself the time to plan it. And I do believe, you know that, have you heard that book Lean Startup? Have you heard of that thing? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I think for tech, it's fine. I don't know if I entirely buy it. You're gonna have to do some planning in addition to the notion of sort of just launch it off and see what goes on. But you have to balance those two pieces. You have to sort of do and you have to plan at the same time. What I always recommend is do a planning process. And as you start to do things, just record what's winning and losing. So strategically, you keep driving back to the same thing. Well, you know what? That's a lot of my own personal experience. I started my agency, gosh, 19 years ago, I think, this month. Yeah, something like that. And uh-huh. uh yeah, I had a I had a side hustle at first too because we weren't making any money. Yeah, and I was a I was a news cameraman for the local news agency here, carrying yeah. around those old heavy ass beta tape. I remember you know, those things. Those things were were terrible. Those cameras and the tripods themselves were like forty pounds. And uh, but I, yeah, I didn't I didn't do the side hustle to to continue the income. It was really just for me to save up enough. I did a plan of like, okay, if I had to live on mac and cheese for three months and live in this, you know, studio basement apartment in in the middle of nowhere, what's three months? What can I do in three months? And so I saved up that money. And then once I had that money, it was just like, okay, going all out. I'll figure it out as we go. And that whole flying a plane while building it. I mean, 19 yeah. years in, it's still it's still flying. Some days doesn't feel as so much as flying as as crashing and burning. But you know, some days are are much better. And then you see now as you start to build that it, it's a lot harder, right? So that base or foundation is fundamental. How you sort of structure it, sort of the mindset, some of the culture, all those things. Once you get going, it's harder and harder to change. Well, I also think so. that there's a lot of continuous learning, continuous improvement yeah. that you have to do. Like, as a, at least for myself, and I would imagine it's the same in academia. Me being a small business owner, I'm always constantly learning. And why I actually enjoy these podcasts is I yeah. get to interact with some of the industry's brightest minds and yeah. learn from them, and and also read books like you said, the Lean Startup. We use Traction from Gino Wickman, his book Traction: The Entrepreneur Operating System. I'm actually starting that book, Factfulness, that Chris Hadfield had suggested to me in his podcast. And so you're always trying to learn. You're always trying to pick something up so that, well, I don't know, it's part of growth. I think it's part of being human. But at the same time, it keeps your business afloat because things change so quickly. I love that. That's a good point. And I couldn't agree more that... You're right. Entrepreneurship, you have to learn all the time. And even just some of the complexity, even when you get outsourcing, you have to know what they're doing, right? To some mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. Like even if I have double servers set up and things, especially when you're smaller, because some of the, you know, you're not getting the the top-notch support to some extent. You got to kind of watch what they're doing. So you're always sort of sort of trying to figure it out. And I agree, academia. You know, learning is just, it never stops. It's just huge. Like I listen to audiobooks in the car all the time now. That's probably my bird at this point. Mm-hmm. And you write reading and, and it's just amazing the brain to keep taking it in. 
Well, you have to, I think. And also just yeah. sometimes the business books, like you said, well, some some of them are timeless. Like Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill is, is a, I think, a more timeless one. I was yeah. just reviewing, was it How to Influence Friends and, and or How oh, to Influence yeah, People and Win Friends or whatever that, that one from, yeah, from Dale yeah, Carnegie. Yeah. I, I, how, to, how to create, how was it Break Friends and Influence People? Dale Carnegie, like yeah, that. that was... Something like that, yeah, from Dale yeah, Carnegie. An and awesome I actually book. reviewed it with my staff. And I, some of them yeah. are timeless, but some of the books yeah. are... Uh, you know, dated because you you read them, you're like, oh, the, these are great examples of businesses that no longer exist, and so you kind of have to keep up. And I think that's that's super important. And I think any student that you have in digital marketing, especially, would would need to continue with that yeah. learning after they've graduated and as they go into their career. Now, what's the is there any kind of trend that you're seeing within the student body itself? Like you've been teaching over the last six years or so. Yeah. What's the commonality? What's the the thing that you keep seeing over and over again amongst that student body? Well, one thing on, and and maybe it's just me and maybe it's my institution, but, you know, one thing that's neat and it's from a person, I'll go from personality. Let's go to sort of learning because there are aspects of that. But just a general personality view. What's amazing about young people today is how grounded they are compared to my generation. What do you mean? Like they're, they just have a sense. They know their flaws. They know what's good about they're themselves. They're more self-aware, is that what you're saying, they're than, more, than our generation? Yeah, much more. Like I'm coming up in the 80s. And we're all just out of our minds, especially in the MBA program. They're, you know, they're just, you know, we're going to go conquer the world. But the ones today says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to conquer the world. So they're a lot more realistic, a lot more grounded. And it's it's really refreshing for me to see that, that they'll know what their strengths and weaknesses are. So so that's that's just from a personality point of view. Now, what's really, really neat from the educational point of view is What's just fascinating. So in my day in school, basically, you know, you go to the lecture hall and you got to write as fast as you can. Just you're writing as fast as you can because you this is the only place you're going to get it. You're scribbling down your notes. You could barely read somebody else's notes. Every once you have the keener student, you could write well and everybody wants to grab him or her notes. But so you and that's that's the only place you're going to get it. And you have to pay full attention. You have to ask questions there. You're not going to be able to talk to the prof outside of class. You have to put an appointment, probably wait a month and a half to get it. So that was the world that I grew up in in education. And the only resource was there. Actually, I'll tell you something really fun. Like I used to do a lot of coding when I was with the business in the beginning. I built a lot of sort of technology around the direct marketing. And what I did when I had like code issues, I'd go to the library and I'd grab like, let's say 13 access books, or I'd go even to chapters and just look through the, the index and try to find the, the problem with the code. And of course today, and this is where I'm heading into as students, I just type in that code thing and bingo, I'm getting a whole list of it that would have taken me three, four hours searching around the library or, or the bookstore trying to find that code. And that that's indicative why I mentioned that is that students today they've got a brain extension, right? It's the internet. Mm. So they don't need to even, to some extent, retain the classes to the same way. So the retention, just by design, is not the same. They don't carry over retention class to class the same way. So there is something going on, I think, in the way that 
that students are thinking that's changing with the internet because really what's happening is you're teaching it, but the internet is backing up your teaching. So it's almost you're referencing it for them to discover more, which is a bit different. And they know that. So they can tune out more in classes because they can. And that's actually it's funny as a prof. So part of it comes in, you're half, I think we're half entertainers now and half, you got to compete with the internet space. You got to, so you're sort of 50% of you trying to keep them engaged. I'm pretty wacky. So it kind of works, but touch wood until you get in trouble. But so you're half entertainer and you're half sort of information expert, but you're almost just laying it out for them to discover on their own. So that's, that's the change. One of the uh, guests that I had um, previously uh, is a guy named Bobby Sawney from Ethnicity Matters. And he talks about multicultural marketing and how it's basically like one in five households is non-mainstream. And, and as we grow and our population ages, we're going to need you know, more and more immigrants. Do you talk about multicultural marketing at all in, in your work and in, in your teachings? We do. We do. And obviously, the, the, you know, there's an aspect of the diversity push going on that does make its way into everything education now. But for me, it's just another variable of difference. You know, so so ethnicity or cultural aspects is just the same as a you know a homeowner or not homeowner. You know what I mean? It's all it's just one of the variables. It's just one of the segmentation variables. And if you could go all into it, fine, and make that a primary variable. But I'm not entirely sure the culture would be strong enough. Maybe Mm. it is. Mm. I did some actually. You know, when I had my my ecom company. I remember um, Canada Post did a, a cultural segmentation and we did some catalog drops with that segmentation and it didn't work very well. But maybe things have changed today because I do believe there's more sort of tribes building now that you can maybe dig into. So I, I guess what I'd say, just what for me, it's just one variable of the many variables. Yeah, that makes sense. With regards to uh, brands, any advice to brands or agencies? You know, on that one, and I don't know, Ted, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want to get into politics, but you see brands all over politics. What do you think on that? Is there a reasoning behind that? Or is it just... No, I think it's 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 funny. I was just... I'm doing actually a webinar tomorrow about yeah. um, what marketing is going to be like in the reopening. Yeah, And I talk about how values is a thing that I think the consumer is really caring about. However, if you're a brand, and at least this is my opinion, yeah. you're just virtue signaling. It's, uh, I don't know, it's not, it doesn't land as authentic. One of my friends, uh, Ben Baker, who's actually another podcaster, he posted a fairly controversial statement where he, you know, it's Pride Month right now, and he grabbed a bunch of icons of logos of everyone's corporate avatars and everyone's got a rainbow right behind it. And he, he just asked, you know, is, is it me or is this, is this really the way we're going? And, and I think people are pretty smart, right. And they can see through that pretty quickly. So I think unless it's an issue that really, really is something that you're going to take action on as a brand that, yeah, I wouldn't personally, you know, do a bunch of these token type gestures because you're not actually putting your money where your mouth is, as it were. And that, at least, that's that's my 
yeah. my, my thought. And even with values, if values are great, but if your product doesn't work, your service is still garbage. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Like you could be, you could be the, the most progressive, politically charged brand, but if you have a crappy product, well, too bad, it still doesn't work. So yeah, yeah I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, that's sort of my point. And I, I don't know whether, and, and I'll tell you as a marketer, for me, a marketer is essentially, how do I say this? I'm going to say it is just, you're a robot of promotion. So you are a marketer in my view is trying to read the mind of the target audience and you're trying to understand the benefits they want and you're creating promotion, driving them to the benefits. And if values is a benefit, great. But it seems to me whenever I'm doing marketing, setting up campaigns, I am making sure as you sort of take your target market and segment off those target audiences, you can present different promotional equations to each one, but you don't want to exclude one or the other, in my view. But it seems to me when you get into politics and values, sometimes there's actually an exclusion aspect. And that's what I don't understand. Because, And again, that small business background where every penny mattered. So let's say I'm doing a campaign. I'm going to piss off 50% of my customers. I'm going to be broke. For me, marketing is product. It's not to a large extent and I, you know, social change. Maybe it's layered in that, but but for me, you're just selling goods and services that people need. And it seems to me we're moving away from that. And that's what I don't understand. And I could be old school. I could be a dinosaur on this. Well, I, I think there's some some things to be said about, like you said, the the product and service, the goods and service in which you're selling. It has to work, and that's what the value prop is. However, if you're really diving into your niche. And your niche is yeah. such that you don't need that extra 50%, that 50% that, you know, from, from your side. And as a small business owner, I have the freedom to say, I'm going to do this kind of business. I'm not going to do that yeah. kind of business. Yeah. And I mean, for, for, for instance, we, we don't brand things like guns or adult content or things like that. I actually have had folks in, in the past approach me going, hey, by the way, I have this side hustle that is a little bit, you know, in that gray space. Yeah. And as a young business person at the time, I actually had to consider it. And my coach was like, well, is that really where you want to dive into? And, and so for myself, I've actually chosen to focus on particular aspects of, of the economy and chose not to work in, in other industries. Now, that said, I think if you're, you know, the, the marketplace is large enough that you could really niche in these days. I mean, my father-in-law yeah. brought over for Father's Day so the family here, we're more plant-based now. And so we brought over plant-based gummies. And there's a company that they're the largest in Vancouver, like plant-based gummy making business. Who knew? Uh, you could yeah. you could actually just make a business doing that now. But I think if you're being, if you're able to be that niche, I think that is something that you can do. However, I think so long as you are actually promoting and doing something that is not just to make a buck, but is to help you know, for a cause that you believe in and you're actually going to take action, I think that's okay. It's, it's what, what I think doesn't work yeah. is when we've done a lot of work in the home builders uh, space in Vancouver. And some folks would talk about green and sustainability and all that kind of stuff as a sell point. But ultimately, affordability is an issue. And if 
the consumer has to pay an extra 15% on their home because it's more energy efficient, they might think twice. So I think, like you said, that equation, that formula is super important. I would agree that if you're authentic and maybe you do want to sort of cut your market down to to what it fits with and the values is the key, you know, if it's a key benefit, sure, go with it. But I would think that's more of a realm of smaller Mm -hmm. businesses or bigger business, maybe cutting out products along Mm -hmm. those lines. But I definitely agree. And that's one thing I tell deaf my students in terms of marketing is you have to be authentic because people can see through it so darn easy. It's, uh, in my view, it's just shallow unless it's authentic. So I would agree with you entirely. And I agree some of these businesses may not be authentic and it's, and um, I think people can see that. Okay, let's uh, move into our rapid fire round. You ready? Okay. All right, texting or talking? Texting. Favorite day of the week? Um, I don't mind Mondays. Mondays is Mondays and Fridays, so either of those. What's your favorite song that you're streaming right now? Um, oh, I got a lot of fear music. Uh, I was just listening to Monsters and Men today. That was a good tune. So there, I'm enjoying them. Favorite superhero. I liked the guy in Jupiter and Netflix for that was a good series and they killed it. I, I didn't really, it. I couldn't, Who's I couldn't get into either? it. I couldn't get into Josh Duhamel yeah. being See, being super old. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> well, I watched like one and a half. I'm like, no, I, I, that that fake old makeup just didn't work for me. You're one of the guys who killed it for me. For God's sakes, I was enjoying it. Favorite marketing book? Um, the one I like, and I should even give it a shout out. Let me just grab it for you. Is the one. You know, Ted, if you want a good book, this will be worth your whole interview. Digital Marketing Strategy and Implementation by Dave Chaffee and Fiona Ellis Chadwick is my favorite book. I almost would like it under my input into my coffin or into my thing when I die. Oh, wow. uh, go with me. It's really, really good. And I'll tell you, when I was trying, oh, this is rapid fire, but I was trying to about six, seven years ago, you're going to remember this. The planning process for digital didn't exist. Strategy didn't exist till about seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. And I was trying desperately to build a strategy and I was so bitter I had to create it myself. But I came in this book and it helped a lot. It was one of the first books I saw that sort of lined out digital in an IMC strategy. That's, that's I don't think I've had... Uh, followed by Jason McDonald. Jason McDonald, which one? Which one's that? Um, all of his books are incredible. If you're looking for some good sort of applied, it fills in your holes really well. Any gaps, he'll cover it. I got to say, I've never had a guest say that they're going to take a book to the grave. So, hey, good on you. <laughs> Acre pie. Uh, oh, that's a hard one. Morning pie, wow. night cake. <laughs> Favorite snack at a ball game? Hot dog loaded with onions and everything on I like it. the garlic fries. Do you yeah. have a hobby? Yeah, it's nature. It's building, building stuff. stuff. Yeah, so what are my cottage now? I'm always building bunkies and sheds, and, and I've lost about 10 pounds in the last two months. Just, just building, building stuff. stuff. I hear it's good exercise, but I, I mean, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a digital guy, and, and I, people laugh at me yeah. for this, but I don't like building stuff because there's no undo button. So, you know, I mean, like, you, oh. you, like, and I'm worried, like, I'm, I, I need my fingers, right? And so I just don't know if I could afford to, like, whoops, you know, oh, there goes one of them. 
But you know what it is, and I, I'm curious. So for me, it's because it's non-digital. It's because you finally, because in digital, you kind of see it done, but you can't really touch it or feel it. So I love, for me, it's that it's that difference where I could just bang something and, and get away from the screens and the texting and the messaging and all that stuff. Yeah, That's one of my project managers is like that. He's our he's our bare grills in our team. He goes into nature, he yeah. builds stuff and all all that kind of stuff. For me, when when it comes to that with my hands, I like I like cooking because it's art in which I can eat after. Yeah. And that would be see cooking. So again, you can leave all the technology and just sort of put something down on the table. Right? Where are you traveling after COVID restrictions are lifted? Out to Edmonton and see my family. Oh, you're from Edmonton? Yeah, Sorry, from man. Edmonton. Nice. Yeah. If you could meet someone from the past, real or fiction, who would it be and why? You know, what's funny is um, B.F. Skinner, I was, when I was in my undergrad, B.F. Skinner was alive. I was just going to drive out to Harvard to meet him, but maybe he'd be boring now. B.F. Skinner. Joe Rogan, I would like to to meet, or even even Donald Trump to see what the hell the guy's brain's like on face to face. That'd be interesting. Just to, like I say, just to see who the hell is this guy. I would say, yeah, that's about it. Really, let's say B.F. Skinner. Skinner. That's my final answer. Yeah, he was my idol in my undergrad. I really, really liked him. Any career advice to give any of your students? The, the notion of learn to earn. So do the long game. If you do your first few years right and go for the experience, get the spots where you learn, don't worry about the money. The re- You'll get the money in spades. Best cottage country area in Ontario? Muskoka, of course. But we cannot beat your BC. I'll admit that much. But Muskoka is pretty darn no, I've nice. Never, I've never done so the definitely. Muskoka, but any anybody I know from Ontario is like, oh, yeah, there's always a cottage or someone's got a cottage, cottage country, this and that. But uh, yeah, well, one day maybe I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, the neat thing is that Ontario, like Alberta, probably has like about three lakes around Edmonton because all the soil there, right? But all the rocks, you get thousands of lakes, in, you know, middle to northern Ontario, which is awesome. So with regards to digital education, where do you see what's next? What's next in the space? I think it's just going to keep going more applied and more applied, uh, experiential. And I do see academia has been catching up with the real world. And I think that trend's going to continue initially because there really wasn't a lot of stuff out in the real world for academia to grab to some extent. Like I said, the strategy plans didn't even exist until, you know, seven, eight years ago. We had just tactical bugs shooting stuff off. So I think there's a base out there now that academia can now pull in and then it could sort of it could lift it up. Right. At the same time as, you know, then you can get a good synergy between the two because academia can add something to the play where they can bring all the theory and the different ideas and sort of augment it. That's great. Well, Garrett, thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoyed our talk. I will be sure to show up to Cottage Country one day in Ontario. Well, if you ever do, let me know and I'll bring you into the woods. All right, my friend. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.